Hey, Mason, I really need a good gift for my generic loved one. Any ideas? Oh, yeah, Andrew. I have the gift they need. If you sign up for GoDaddy's Economy Blogcast Package, you'll receive 1 gig of disk space, 100 gigs of bandwidth, recording tools, and much more. Whoa, with all those features, I'd guess that kind of package will run me at least $20 a month and be plastered with ads. You're wrong, Andrew. The Blogcast Economy Package is just $4.49 a month for 12 months. That's a deal and a perfect way to get your own website, blog, or podcast started. Oh, yeah, that is a deal. Plus, enter code Muggle when you check out. Save an additional 10% on any order. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. Because a pensive can be used for just about anything, this is MuggleCast, episode 129, for January 26th, 2008. Hey everyone, welcome to Spiderwick Cast, the podcast where we bring you the latest information in Spiderwick news, theories, discussion, and much more. We have a great show today, including an interview with Freddie Highmore. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about everything but Harry Potter. Yeah, I thought that'd be a good idea since most of our listeners believe now that we're turning into a Spiderwick program. Um... Does anyone know anything about the upcoming film Spiderwick? Uh, honestly? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Does anyone know about anything relating to uh, Harry Potter? Oh, of oh, course baby. not. Why, why would we know anything possibly. about that? Exactly! I don't understand why people believe that just because we're doing a very fine interview with Freddie Highmore, some people seem to think that we're turning into a Spiderwick podcast. But actually, um,. No, we're sticking to Harry Potter. Uh, so this week, uh, we have an interview with Freddie Highmore, who is starring in the upcoming film, The Spiderwick Chronicles. But that's not all. We, all, we also have plenty of uh, Harry Potter discussion coming up as well. So are, are we going to stick with Harry Potter or Spiderwick? I'm, I'm confused at this point. Um, My, the listeners are confusing. Know. Yeah, me too. Maybe we should make a Facebook yeah. group. Let them vote. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Mike Atanabel. And I'm Matt Britton. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Have we decided that I go last now? Yes. No offense, but it's it, it always goes in order of like seniority, like who started on the show first. Like that's generally well, the order that's always followed. I'm second to the oldest, and I always forget when I'm we don't have oldest. that many people on the show. Like when we have four, I usually end up being second, and I'm used to being like third or fourth. So I'll sit there and wait. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's my turn. <laughs>
Micah Tannenbaum is in the MuggleCast News Center with the latest spider, I mean, MuggleCast News Stories. All right, thanks, Andrew. The Food Network's Ace of Cakes did a special Thursday night on the Hogwarts Castle Cake from the Los Angeles Order of the Phoenix After Party. DanRadcliffe.com now has the video online, and you can watch it over at their site. In a small interview with Entertainment Weekly, Alan Rickman, who plays Severus Snape in the Harry Potter films, reveals he'll begin filming his part for Half-Blood Prince in early February. When asked about his role, Rickman said, Before you go any further, I never ever talk about that character, referring to Professor Snape. Number one, because it's not fair on kids who haven't read to the end. And for me to say anything, there's a bit of it that just should be left innocent. It's real storytelling, what she's done, and I'm a part of that, so I just never talk about it. He goes on to acknowledge that he does play a bigger role in this film, and that... It's important stuff. Speaking of filming, residents of the English town of Gloucester welcome back with open arms. Crews intent on filming scenes for the upcoming sixth Harry Potter movie. Scenes from Half-Blood Prince shot at Gloucester Cathedral will include those set in different locations around Hogwarts. And quite a few of the college's students have been cast as extras for the film. Interestingly, Gloucester has not been used as a filming location since the first two films were produced. Gloucester City Council leader Paul James said filming the blockbuster would pump cash into the local economy and put Gloucester on the map. He was quoted as saying it brings excitement to the city. It also benefits the local economy on two levels. You've got the direct spend of people who come here filming and doing associated things. And then when it's aired that Gloucester is being used and people see parts of the city on their screens, it puts us on the map. Finally, it was reported earlier this week that J.K. Rowling has halted printing of the finished Deathly Hollows translation due to environmental concerns. Joe insists that an import paper certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as being derived from wood grown and harvested in a way that promotes sustainable forest development. The finished translation is due out on March 7th. That's all the news for this January 26, 2008 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. You know, it's it's another slow news week. Uh, there wasn't much going on in the in the Harry Potter world, unfortunately. Um, but Micah, you did want to talk about one email that we got in, I guess, in, inside of the news. Yeah, I guess it's more directed at you than anybody else. But uh, it came from Jimmy Fifteen in Toronto, and he says, "As today, many Harry Potter fans, such as myself." have learned that MuggleNet and other Harry Potter sites will be visiting the set over the next week. What are you guys looking forward to in the movie? What set will you guys be most anxious to see? Also, what do you think will be cut in this movie? Sorry if you've answered these questions in a previous podcast, but I've just started listening since the 100 podcast, right after Deathly Hollows was released. Thanks for reading, Jimmy. I, I think it's a question for all of us, because we you know, we're all going to see the sets in the film. I, it's not like they're any different in person, except they're. Well, in person. I, I think what he's meaning is, what, what are you looking forward to see on the trip? Like, I don't know. I, I I think the coolest set. I don't even know if it's it's built right now. I I guess it is. I sort of remember an article about. I think Dan Radcliffe said it was shot. Is the cave scene? Yeah. Um, I think that was shot already. Well, the, did, didn't um didn't Timothy Spall say they're they're filming the um the the, the next to the last scene? right now really what's that word yeah i'm so bad with grammar what's what's the word that he was he said the penultimate for, for, um, penultimate. for yeah um penultimate so which scene. one would that be the cave yeah that's what i was thinking i mean I, it, it depends on what's in the script though so 
you know, it, it could be a few things. Um, I know for a fact that's not what they're filming uh, next week. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess. I guess. What what scenes are you guys looking forward to? I'm definitely looking forward to the cave most of all, I think, because that was just so awesome, the way that was written. And I have a really... Yeah. Generally, when I read, I don't have... I don't have a very detailed picture in my mind of how things are. I just kind of have a general idea of what they, what I think they are. But with the cave, like I just had this very detailed picture in my mind of what it is. So I'm really excited to see what they'll do with it and kind of see how it matches up to what I thought it was. It's kind of hard not to, um, for for them to get a different vision than what most of the readers did because it's just, it's you can't really go a different direction other than what's in the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a cave and a basin in the middle of the lake. Yeah, I know. I have very high expectations for Michael Gammon, though. I mean, especially once he starts drinking the potion, because like that, that is just. I really am having a hard time picturing him portraying Dumbledore drinking that and just suffering, and you know. I think he'll do it. What? I think he'll be good at it. Yeah, He's a really he good really actor. is. I think that he really. I don't know. I think that he takes a lot of unnecessary crap off of people who, just because he doesn't play the Dumbledore they like, they automatically say he's a bad actor, and I just don't think that's true. I can speak as somebody who doesn't really like Gambit in the role, but I will also say a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was initiated by another person. And a lot of times when you have that, it's very hard to take, you know, the character of Dumbledore as anybody else playing him but Richard Harris. And I think Harris established such a role early on that it's hard for a lot of people to move away from that. Mm -hmm. See, I can't see Richard Harris doing the cave scenes, though. Like, like, again, drinking the potion. Like, you know, even in Chamber of Secrets, you could tell he was getting... I mean, we all know he was was, was old, but he was getting weak. Weak. He was very soft. He He was very (laughs) ill at that point. When they were right. shooting, yeah, he was. And say, say he he didn't, you know, regrettably die <laughs> um, back in what was that, two thousand two? I mean, can you imagine six years later, like, yeah. you know? Also, I think he yeah. played a much softer Dumbledore too. He was a lot calmer, I think. He was calm, but he was powerful. Do Do you honestly think that uh, we would have? Um, the release being this late in the years if he didn't die? Like, if, if Richard Harris didn't pass away, do you think they would have skipped an extra year between uh, movie two and three? Why would they do that? Um, I, I don't know. It, it, his death probably delayed the production a little bit. Oh, maybe. I thought you were suggesting that they wanted to rush the films uh, out quicker. I remember <laughs> it, it when it happened, work. it seemed like they were expecting it because they knew he was really sick. Um, but I did read an interview with Chris Columbus, I believe, where he said that they wanted to take breaks between every two movies to kind of give everyone, you know, some time off. It seems like that that's been a general pattern too. They take somewhat of a long break between every two movies. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, cause Goblet of Fire came out 2002. Um, Goblet of Fire came out in 2005. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's interesting. Well, uh, you can answer the other question he asked. Uh, what do you think will be cut in the movie? Well, what does everyone think will be cut? I mean, 
Um, well, I don't know. I'm kind of starting to worry a little bit about the riddles as we get closer and closer um, to, yeah, I guess the movie being released because we haven't heard a whole lot about that, and I think it's something that creatively they probably could cut if they wanted to. Um, but I think it's really integral to the story because it's part of the whole flashback scenes between, you know, Harry and Dumbledore. Well, there's a lot of casting that, I mean, there's a lot of characters that haven't been cast that's really getting kind of scary. Um, like they, they haven't, they haven't recasted or they haven't brought back, um, Clemence Posey. Um, and they haven't casted Ron's older brothers at all. No. And I don't so think they will. They, right? mm, yeah. So are they even going to do the whole Fleur and um, the whole wedding in, yeah, in the movie seven. That's is, they're not even casting Fleur Wait. at all. Mm, wow, I never thought of that. <laughs> well, do we know that uh, even the Weasley twins have been confirmed for this movie? Because I thought I read something. Yeah, that yeah, they have. They were not going to be in it, but if they have, then okay. I think it, I think it's wasn't there an article that said they were confirmed for doing um, a scene, a Weasley Christmas scene, and a scene in Hogsmeade with the Weasley show. Oh, really? I hope so. Yeah. Um, the I, other I, scene. Sorry. They well, I just want to say they've been in every movie thus far, so I mean, I, it'd be silly to cut them out at this point. Right. Well, the other scene that I would be afraid that could be cut. Uh, realistically would be the opening scene with the other minister because we haven't heard any casting for Scrimgeour either. Right. Yeah, I would right. not be Which surprised I think is, if they brushed over that. Is an awesome scene if they did it the right way. I don't think it would take a whole lot of filming, to be honest. Yeah. Honestly, no. what I think will happen but is then- it'll start at the Dursleys and Harry will have a copy of the Daily Prophet or something and it'll say, you know, Fudge resigned or whatever. It'll Yeah. I think the first scene is gonna be with um Snape and Bellatrix and Narcissa. Yeah, I mean I yeah. aren't yeah. the first two yeah, chapters first not two even chapters. related to Harry at all. But I wonder No. I mean they have to have that in. They have to do it somewhere. See, but that just reminds me of the beginning of Gobble of Fire the Oh wait, no, they, they included yeah. that. But they didn't explain a whole lot about it. That was the one problem with right. that scene. If you had never read the book, that scene made no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess it would just get people worried. Uh, people who haven't read the books, you yeah. Know? Like, oh, but this, but book six uh, seems to me a lot easier to cut down than book five was. Yeah, yeah. there was a. Lot I mean, th- there's a there's a lot of material in book six, but you know, it, it could be cut down a lot more cleanly than it, than <laughs> the um, the butcher they did in book five. See, I don't I don't think the wedding would be too hard to get into in book seven. I could sort of see that just coming out of nowhere because. I, it doesn't need much setup. It, it, it's a wedding, right. so I mean, it could be set up in 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 the beginning of in movie seven. They could just be like, "Oh, and the wedding's in a few days. Oh, yeah, better go well, to that." Not I'm if sure it, it comes out of nowhere. Attack. Well, why not? I mean, they don't even have anyone casted. Well, they don't have to cast them yet if they're just gonna make it in seven, right? Because all they'd have to do is have Harry get a letter or have Ron tell him or something. Be like, "Oh, yeah, by the way." They're getting married, so. Or I could see like Mrs. Weasley walking in while they're talking one day and be like, "Don't forget, the wedding's in three days." And then you know they could change it so Harry's just finding out about it. He could be like, "The wedding." He's like, "Yeah, blah blah blah, we're having a wedding." And then you know it's all set up. That's Boom. just gonna that's just gonna leave more stuff in an already huge story yeah. they have to tell for book seven, though. Yeah, well, going back to what you said, Matt, I think they can probably do more in this movie than they've done in previous ones because they can cut. 
you know, some stuff that's really insignificant, but they can also do a good job setting up book seven or movie seven, right? Yeah, because they actually know how it ends now. That's true. That's very true. I really hope they actually put in a little thing about the locket. Yeah. They left that completely out of. They left that completely out, and and as you know, we're going to do in chapter by chapter. You know, it's pretty significant, and they haven't even casted. uh, What's his name? Mundungus. Mundungus Fletcher. Yeah, they haven't even casted him, so he's just going to steal stuff from a house that he doesn't know. I wonder if they'll change that so they don't have to cast him. Yeah, that that like have creature have hidden it somewhere or something, or given it it to Umbridge or something. Yeah, but see. As we'll discuss later, the Mundungus scenes in in this week's chapter by chapter are really, really. I would love to see them in the movie played out in the movie. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on to announcements, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about the movies in Muggle Mail. Um, just an update on the spring break tour that we're sort of thinking about. Uh, we're looking into the possibility with borders, and we'll see what happens from there. It looks like we'll have plenty of people for each each of those five stops. So right now we're aiming for Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, or D.C., and then finally um, Richmond, Virginia. So we'll look into that more. Again, nothing's confirmed yet. Uh, we're just giving you a heads up. And uh, black out your calendars if you live in this area for uh, March 15th to the 20th. And we'll see what we can do. Hopefully we'll have an update within a few yeah. weeks if that works out. I'm sorry, people in the West Coast. We just don't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it. Matt, you could do your own tour with Mikey. The Matt and Mikey tour. <laughs> Mikey would be down for that. <laughs> well, is that a fake laugh? Do you not like Mikey? No, 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 no. That was sarcasm. Oh, okay. Um, so, Podcast Alley. Everyone, be sure to vote for us over there. <sighs> There's this podcast called Keith and the Girl. Um... And they have, they decided to take over more of the Podcast Alley Top 10 list, and they have three of their shows on Podcast Alley Top 10 right now, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Cause they were all in the top five, but uh, some podcast called MuggleCast knocked one of them down a spot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we're number five right now as of Thursday. Um, Dally, they- but they took the entire balcony of the New York, New York Hotel in Las Vegas during New Year's. <laughs> did we were matt and i were coming out of new york new york in las vegas and there's this little there's this keith and the girl poster thing and i think they were having some sort of outdoor get together right there that was funny we should have we should have graffitied the sign vote for mocacast on podcast alley <laughs> yeah go vote <laughs> otherwise we were not going to do another podcast this month <laughs> that's pretty yeah, mean really. It's pretty demanding. Jeez, well, there's something there's, bugging Micah. No, no. <laughs> guys, come on. Come on. It's the last podcast of January. Get it? Oh, I oh. get it. Wait, That's what? funny. Yeah. Oh, Micah got us. New segment. Micah got us. Oh, can um, I say something Yeah, that'll really be quick? up on Wikipedia after the show is released. Yeah, yes. Along yeah. with all of our other useless segments. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Okay, we'll move on. Talk to you after the show. You need another spanking. Uh, Um, I just wanted to address something. I've gotten a few emails about this. People who think that I was mocking people who say y'all last week. I was Uh, not... Yeah, I've seen those. What were you doing? No, okay. When I was reading the email... What was going through your head? The the previous... Or like a couple of weeks prior to this episode, we got an email... you live in Georgia. I know. This is my point. People, I'm from the South. Why would I mock you? Anyway. Okay. 
A couple of weeks prior to this last episode, Andrew, we got an email, and it said y'all in it, and Andrew was trying to read it, and it came out y'all. And so, I wasn't really thinking about mocking anyone in particular, so when I was reading the email, I was just kind of like, y'all, like, emphasizing the fact that I knew how to say it. I wasn't trying to be obnoxious. I So, really, you were making fun of Andrew. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't personally use the word. I did when I was very young, and I lived in Texas, and everyone said y'all, but... I don't anymore, but I don't have a problem with people who do. So please stop complaining. Y'all. <laughs> um, you didn't even say it right that time. Well, yeah, that's it was how better. we Y'all. East Coasters say it. Nor- Northeasterners. It, okay, it, 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 ain't, it ain't you all, it's y'all. It takes me off when I'm up at school and all these people think that they're Southern and they're like, what do y'all want to do? And I'm like, no, stop. Just stop. <laughs> don't even. Yeah. Like if someone on on another podcast mocked my East Coast podcast or, or my East Coast accent, I wouldn't be offended. Yeah. You know, it's just we're just playing around. We're just having yeah. a we're sharing a few LOLs back and forth. It's not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> 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 um and lastly I just want to say that Eric had planned to come on the show this week, but he came down with a little flu action. So um he regrets not being here, but if you want to send him some uh, emails to eric at staff.mugglenet.com, I'm sure that'll make him feel a little better. Um, he's not, you know, he, he's sick, so he couldn't join us this week. But he tried. So um, let's move on to Muggle Mail now. Who wants to take the first email? Okay. The first email comes from Rupsha13 of Dallas. She says, Dear Muggle Casters, in response to episode 128, you were talking about how usually intermissions aren't included in movies anymore. Actually, most all Hindi movies, movies from India, include intermissions because they are usually three to four hours long. These movies usually do very well in Bollywood, in the Bollywood box office. If Warner Brothers makes the decision to make Deathly Hallows a longer film, instead of breaking it up into two movies, the prospect of having an intermission would be a good idea. Yeah. I, I yeah. um... This is this is a good email. Um, I hope Warner Brothers really takes into consideration, you know, globally, you know, they 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 look at how other countries would, you know, do intermissions and see how successful they are. Because, like we said, yeah, it, w- it would be great for the for the movie theaters. They would love that, making all mm-hmm. that extra money off of um, um, snacks and such. They're doubling their income, I would think. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I I honestly I don't think it's. It's it's a very smart idea to make two movies though. Why? Especially it, it, unless unless they unless they release them both at the same time. I think it would be better to make it one long movie with an intermission than to make yeah, it two yeah, movies. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If they make two movies, if if they like um, separate it in between like a month, uh, even at the least, it's p- people are going to forget the first movie. Right. People are going to once they go to see the part two, they're going to forget and they want to they want to watch the first one again. Yeah. Right. I mean, part. it would be. A logistical nightmare between premieres and getting the actors to get from one place to another in a short period of time. I think, you know, and if you extend it out further, you run into other people's commitments and things like that. It's so, just too expensive, even just commercial. Absolutely, yeah. No, I I agree. I I don't dislike this idea. I think it would be cool to kind of split it up and give people like a 15 minute break and then go it, back for another two hours. Honestly, give us what we want for once. I mean, you know, for how long? We've been saying this since Sorcerer's Stone. Make the movies longer. Fit in more. Just do what it. what part of the population would complain, too? What? I mean, what part of the... How, how, how big of the population would 
not go see it just because nobody it's, i guarantee an who would that affect honestly who would it affect maybe it's the last harry potter film right the only concern i could see with this is parents bringing their little kids if the parents aren't fans of harry potter they're gonna see that it's like four and a half hours or whatever but these days but parents will do it's whatever it's not a the child's want, film anymore so. though it's it's not even pg yeah no but more. but there's you know there are those parents out there who have like the 10 year olds and the 10 year olds are like oh daddy i gotta see harry potter well, that's right. the parents' fault for bringing the little kids who scream during the film. <laughs> but, but, but what the kids want, they get. This is how America works. Right. But what the fans want, they should be able to get that's it once. Touche. Too freaking shay. Um, all right. So let's move on to the next email. This also talks about the split. This is from uh, AM13 of Chicago. I was listening to MuggleCast episode 128 when you were discussing the movie being split in two parts. Number one. I personally don't believe that the movie should be split into two parts, number two. But I have an idea about where the movie should be split into two parts, number three. If the Harry Potter's writer decide to split movie seven into two parts, number four. I imagine that a great place to learn to leave the first part, number five, would be when Harry is being caught by Great Back. I believe that this would create a great cliffhanger and leave the moviegoer speechless as Harry is taken away by the bad guys. Love the show, Pickles Quack. Um... I, I yeah I, I like that. You need a good cliffhanger. Yeah, uh, and it, it should be worth it. It should be a real like, you know, like you're just you're you're about to explode. You want to see what what's about to happen, and then lights come up. You know, intermission or whatever it says. Yeah, that would be well. Not only does it have to be a cliffhanger, but it needs some closure. Of what happened in the book? What are you talking? It, 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 it needs a little downfall, but also an intent to get you to come back. Right. Well, that, well, that's what the cliffhanger is. Is, 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 is that, is that a good spot? Do you think? Well, I think so. Well, it's, it's, yeah. It's about 450 pages into the book. So I don't know how much that would leave afterwards, but I'm assuming the end scene with Hogwarts is going to be, yeah, that could give them fairly long. Yeah. Now that I'm looking at the, the names of the chapters, I, I think that's a good spot too. Cause that's right after they find out about the deathly hollows. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You want to leave, you want to, you want to leave the viewers off at a point where there's a ton of information that, you know, is fresh in our minds, but isn't answered <gasps> yet. The, okay. I just read the end of the, right before the Malfoy Manor chapter. That's a perfect spot to end. Cause that's right when they find that's, that's right when they catch him with the taboo. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Um, I agree what you're saying though, Matt, actually, I didn't, I didn't see the point you were making at first, but when you, um, I think of, uh, lost how at the end of every episode, there's basically a cliffhanger and ends off like right when something's about to happen. Is that what you're trying to say? Sure. Like instead of something just happening and then ending, it's about to happen. Then it ends. Well, yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for working with me on that. <laughs> so we don't think that it should be split in two, but if it were, this would be a good spot. Yeah. It should be... No, no. We do think it should be split in two, just with an intermission, not two separate films being released. Well, the, well, the best times when a movie... When something is split into two, or when there's a to-be-continued, there's there's always um, a climactic scene that's, um, that's starting to um, go down. You know, a... a a descending climb that after the climax is starting to descend, and then all of a sudden, there's another climax that's just about to start again. Yeah, yeah, but I think this person is is saying that if the movie was split into two, 
and it came out at two different times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Which we're against. We'd well, this would be a be good split. spot, too, for an intermission as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Um, let's move on to the next email. Um, our next email comes from Shauna23 from Northfolk, Virginia. Uh, Shauna writes, Hey, guys, let me apologize in advance if this sounds know-it-all. It's not you. Just how I talk and type. I have three comments, and I hope they are helpful. Number one. Oh, you guys gave me the long one. Okay. Okay, number one. As it relates to the tongue-tying curse, you all said it happened when the figure of Dumbledore appears, but it is actually when they first step in in, and Moody's voice asks Severus Snape. They say, we're not Snape, and the curse is lifted. I think this curse lasted beyond Moody's death because he made it so. Just like Grimmauld Place, it is unplottable because of Sirius's dad and the posters in his room and the Black Family Tree have the permanent sticking charm even after these characters have died and the spell remains. Number two. Well, hold on. Let, let's address each one at a time. Okay. Um, I think she makes a good point with point one. Yep. Well, the whole reason why the, the, the sticking charm wasn't lifted was hence the name the permanent sticking charm. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. That, that that's probably why the curse wasn't lifted. Right, and from what I remember, it wasn't just spells that. Um, sorry, it wasn't just the spell that Dumbledore had put on Harry that was lifted. It was spells that were placed on Hogwarts that he had done that were lifted exactly. as well. Mm-hmm. So that's I how Hermione really... got all those books out of his office. Yeah, so I, I think it would be almost an argument where. It's just one of those situations where a spell lasts beyond the life of a person. Mm. Maybe there are certain spells that, you know, are lifted upon the death of a of a certain wizard as opposed to those that aren't. Well, yeah, I'm sure there's like um, some spells that that aren't completely permanent. Right. I yeah. mean, sorry, that's it. Well, I think her argument is is almost going in the direction well. You know, he didn't put he put the spell on a place as opposed to a person. But we all know that Dumbledore also put spells on a place that, at least from what I remember reading, were supposedly lifted when he died. Right. So it doesn't really hold much water. This argument. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure there's other places that, or other things that we've seen throughout the series that have had spells placed on them. Then when people died, they didn't go anywhere. But it's a just a good question. I think why wasn't the spell lifted do we really have yeah. a good answer to it i don't know what well i think just like she says just because moody made it so mm-hmm. <laughs> and simple yeah as that's that. possible I mean, protection it, for protection yeah if it's for intended um to stay there then i don't think it would have been lifted after the person right dies. obviously yeah all right well let's move on point two Matt. okay number two as to the Fidelius charm, like you all mentioned in the podcast, Wormtail would have had to tell Bethilda where the Potters were hidden for her to drop by. This could have been at the request of Lily, and Sirius might have known where the Potters were, but if you check out hpluxton.org under the Fidelius charm, it says that one could press their nose t- to the house and not see the Potters in it if they had not been told the secret. And when a secret keeper dies, all those who know the secret becomes a secret keeper in turn. Yeah, we got we got a lot of emails about yeah. this. I can't believe we didn't make the connection between um, Dumbledore, you know, the, yeah. the, the whole Grimwald Place thing. Like, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it all yeah, I to guess the secret keeper. I just felt like the difference was that they were supposed to be under such tight um, 
security measures, and it just seemed weird that they would, I don't know, tell people where they were. Well, I, I mean, part of what we brought up on last week's show also, and, and I think I read something from the lexicon, was that anybody could know where the potters were, but they couldn't tell anybody else what that right. location was. Right. Only right. Wormtail could do that. Exactly. So a million people could have known where the potters were at, but only Wormtail could divulge the information. Right. And there's a million people, if they weren't Death Eaters, you know, and then the Death Eaters are looking for them, but they don't know where they are. That's kind of, little, though, a little bit of a, a, a hole, though. I think it's kind of a it. stretch. It, because if you know, I mean, if it, just because someone can't tell you where they are, but you know that they know, you could probably trace how many people know, and you probably can get to a certain vicinity of where the person's hiding. That's true. If you could fall, I mean, I guess the if, only if other you're way a relatively good detective, you could probably figure it out. Yeah, if that was the case. Yeah, I guess you would be able to follow them in, right? Because that's why. That's why, like in, in this book, they're always. Uh, apparating to the top step of Grimwald Place, because yeah. if they were seen outside, or maybe it's just so they know, maybe they only did that so um, they don't know who's in Grimwald Place. I well, I'm sure they all apparate. I mean, mm-hmm. the only reason why they didn't apparate to Grimwald Place in that one instance was because Harry was too young. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think you can really follow someone who apparates unless they're holding on to you, like they well, say in no, the book. No, I, I wasn't saying that. I was saying, if I'm saying someone who doesn't know the secret could just follow someone follow someone walking who does know the yeah. secret you know and then just go right in maybe i don't know oh okay interesting stuffs <sighs> yes and point three as it refers to voldemort's name becoming taboo at, in grimald place i think the fidelius charm would hold up to it yes the death eaters would be able to sense the name being used but the fidelius charm is such a powerful spell um hi- hiding information in a human soul that they would not be able to see the place or go near it without being told of its existence. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with that. Shauna, I think you make good points. Yeah. Um, so that cleared up a lot. That. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, but that's all she has to say, and thanks for hearing me out. Oh, okay. <laughs> the next one comes from Rachel17 of Setauket about Regulus Black. She says, Hey guys, I was just listening to episode 128, and I started thinking about all the questions that I have about Regulus. I wonder if he knew about the prophecy and that Voldemort was planning the murder of the Potters because in the note he put in the locket, he wrote, I am destroying this in the hopes that when you meet your match, you'll be mortal once more. I also was wondering what Voldemort thought happened with Regulus. He clearly didn't know that he stole one of his Horcruxes, but at the same time, Regulus did die at the lake. And according to Lupin, Regulus went on the run and was killed a few days later after he deserted Voldemort by Death Eaters. So I wonder if Voldemort ever cared to find out what really happened to Regulus, or if maybe he knew that Regulus ran away and his Death Eaters just lied to him about killing him. Please tell me what you all think. I love the show. Keep up the great work. Rachel. Use some periods. That would be helpful. (laughs) That's so mean. (laughs) Sorry, Rachel. I apologize on behalf of Micah. Uh, sorry. This is kind of interesting, I guess, because uh, what we knew about Regulus was that he was on the run, supposedly, and he was killed by Death Eaters, but that's not the case. And we, I wonder if Voldemort ever did wonder about that. 
what happened to him, or he probably just didn't care very much. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, at that point, we know he had a lot of followers, and it probably wouldn't be that unusual to have one or two of them disappear like that, you know? Yeah. I agree. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that's it for Muggle Mail this week. Um, Now we're going to take it to our inner... To Spider Mail, yeah. <laughs> now we're gonna shift into the Spider Week cast portion of the show. Now, um, now it's time for uh, our interview with uh, Freddie Highmore. This is part one. Part two will be coming out in another two weeks. So enjoy. All right, hi everyone. I'm here with Freddie Highmore, who is starring in the new movie, The Spider Week Chronicles, that comes out February 15th. Freddie's only 15 years old, and he has acted along actors such as Johnny Depp and Robin Williams in the acclaimed films Finding Neverland's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and August Rush. His next movie is The Spider Week Chronicles, which comes out February 15th, and Freddie has agreed to be a guest host on MuggleCast and tell us why Harry Potter fans will like it. So, hey, Freddie, how you doing today? Very good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, you got this big movie coming up. Um, it's being promoted like crazy in America, The Spiderwood Chronicles. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the movie? Yeah, I mean, um, it's basically about three kids who go off to the country um, and uh, with their mum, and they discover an unseen world um, with sort of fairies, trolls, goblins, and I mean, it's really fantastic. The whole CGI, and it, it's, it's very impressive. Awesome. Now, um, Muggle, MuggleCast, the podcast that we're doing this interview for, uh, has a huge Harry Potter audience, as you can imagine. So uh, what do you think Harry Potter fans will like about Spiderwick Chronicles? I think it's amazing. You know, it lowers your defenses, almost like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, in the way, you know, the sort of gentle moments let you relax and you all feel comfortable. And then just when you're sort of lulled into the moment, you know, a big creature goes crashing through the, the ceiling or something like that and gives you a big fight. It's... Uh, it's really great, and also the way they've um, they've done the, the CGI and the the goblins and trolls. They actually look they actually look real. You know, it makes the yeah. the unbelievable stuff really believable. Yeah, cool. So um, let's talk about Harry Potter just for a minute. Uh, have you? I'm assuming you've read the series before. Yeah, no, yeah. I've read I've read the books, and uh, you know, I love the films. Cool. What's your favorite book? Harry Potter book. Um, uh, my favorite Harry Potter book. Well, because they're called different things over here. But I like the first one, The Sorcerer's Stone. Okay. I mean, I guess you got to start, you know, start at the, uh, the, original. the first one. Yeah. Right, yeah. And uh, if, if you were to be in one of the Harry Potter films, which character do you think you would have wanted to play? <laughs> um, God, I mean, I, I remember actually, I, uh, it was funny, I was a bit, I guess I was a bit too young when they all started to... Um, to get you know to get together, but I knew yeah. the I know the guy who plays who, who plays Harry Potter quite well, Dan Dan Radcliffe. Yeah, and right. he, yeah. I mean we're we're good friends and we've oh, known cool. each other. In fact, before either of us started filming, so it's uh, it's kind of funny. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would have thought you would make a great Harry Potter if uh, it wasn't for that darn Dan Radcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for Spiderwick, what was the audition process like? Um, well, I mean basically, I just went to. Uh, to Los Angeles and mm. had a screen test there, um, and they wanted to basically see if the, you know, if playing two people would work out playing twins. Um, and Sarah was there auditioning for Mallory as well, and I remember thinking that they probably wouldn't, they probably wouldn't cast me since she was so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't think they cast two non-Americans, but but there we go, we did. So I'm lucky. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, is it difficult to do an American accent for this film? Um, it wasn't too bad, actually. I mean, it was tougher the first time I did it. I did it for a film called August Rush. Okay. Um, and 
So I guess that, you know, I'd already, uh, you had already started doing it and had a bit of, bit of experience. But we had a voice coach who was always there on the set to make sure any slip-ups I did could try and be corrected. Okay, good. So, so if you were to do it now, do you think you can completely pull it off? Could you completely become American? <laughs> um, I hope so. I mean, how I tried to do it when I was when I was filming, I just tried to talk in in the accent as much as possible, okay. and sort of do it, you know, when I when I go home or go back to the apartment we had there in in Montreal, you know, just in the evening with my dad and stuff, and just mm-hmm. try and just just keep it going and right. you know, so I wouldn't have to think about it when I was acting; it would just come at second. Right. Later. Yeah, because once you stepped out of that. American accent. It would have been hard to get back in, I guess. Um, so what's the best part about acting in a fantasy film for you? Um, I mean, this one was particularly great because I got to play twins. And mm-hmm. that's the sort of opportunity you only get, you know, if you're lucky. Most people really never get that opportunity. Yeah. Um, um, I imagine that would have been hard to do. Was that was that a new challenge for you, playing twins? Because you're essentially filming the same scenes twice, right? Yeah, um, I mean, that's pretty much how they did it. They do one pass with me as as Simon or as Jag, and then I'd switch over to the other character and do it again. Um, I mean, it was kind of nice to have, too, because you could work out little things between them both. And I mean, it was like, for example, the, there's a scene towards the start of the movie when we're in a bedroom and we come in, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just us two, and we're moving around. And it took quite a while to rehearse it and all and set it up. But yeah. when you look back at it at the end, it's... It's kind of cool to see yourself talking to yourself. Right, yeah. I look forward to seeing that. Now, how, how does that work? Are, are you filming the same scene on the same set? Or is there any uh, green screen involved, or what? Um, sometimes they use green screen. Um, but, I mean, it, I guess it complicated it further that sometimes there were ping-pong balls for, for goblins and trolls. And then yeah. there's also another one for, for another character of mine. Um, but normally, I guess, I guess how they did it was... they. They just do the scene once and film it how it was how it was meant to be with something called motion control, mm-hmm. and then the camera can repeat its movement exactly the same each time. So oh, I, I just I just and as the other character and pretend to look where where the other one should be. Right. And then they match the two images together, um, and it seems like seems like we're there to, at the same time. Okay, that, that's very cool. I mean, it's pretty complicated. I think. Oh, I'm sure. Basics, yeah. I guess. yeah. <laughs> So what we're going to do now is Freddie is going to ask you guys a question related to Spiderwick. And um, if you don't know the answer, you can always check spiderwickchronicles.com for the answer. Freddie's going to ask you a question, and then the first 15 people to send their contact information and the correct answer to caitlin at staff.mongolnet.com will receive a pair of tickets to see the movie in IMAX. So, Freddie, what is the question this week? The first question is, what will Hobgoblin's saliva give you when applied to the ice? All right, so once again, send in your correct answer and contact information to caitlin at staff.mugglenet.com. That's K-A-I-T-L-I-N at staff.mugglenet.com. And the first 15 people to send in their correct answers will receive a pair of tickets to see the movie in IMAX. Part two of our interview with Freddie Highmore will come next week. Who is the person that did that interview? That, that person did a really great job. Oh, thank you. I'll pass the compliments along to him. He's a good friend of mine. He's sort of a somebody in the uh, Harry Potter fandom. Um, it's hard to get in touch with him. He's he's very big. In the Emerson? No, no, yeah, bigger <laughs> actually, much bigger. Wow. Yes, in uh, more ways than one. Uh, but it's time to move on to chapter Ooh. by chapter now. This week we're going to discuss chapters eleven and twelve. Um, 
no Eric this week, so that means uh, chapter by chapter is going to be about five minutes long. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't, you can't put that I'm in there. I'm kidding. No, you're not. No, um, That's the best part. <laughs> so oh, we love each other on the show. No, we do. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. We really of do. Course. Because people will send in emails. Why do you hate Eric? Yeah. No, 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 no. I was, I didn't mean that. Like I hate him. He adds a lot to chapter by chapter. That, that's all I mean by it. A whole lot. Uh, yeah. Um. So chapter eleven, the bribe. Um. I'm going to enjoy talking about this chapter because uh, this whole I situation- think we're going to all enjoy this chapter. What do you guys think? Well, that was really loud. Wow, that <laughs> was very happy, Matt. <laughs> yeah, <where that laughs> very positive. <laughs> <laughs> I just drank a whole can of Mountain Dew in two seconds. Oh, I see. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we should all drink a lot of sugar before the show. That that would actually help a lot, I think. Um <laughs> Um, all right, so yeah, chapter eleven, uh, the bribe. Um, it, it's an interesting chapter. Basically, what happens in this chapter? Basic summary is Remus Lupin tries to get with the trio to go along with them. He wants to join in on the action, and Harry believes that his intentions aren't for the right reasons. So, um, we'll start off with uh, the uh, one thing that uh, Matt you wanted to bring up, along with Laura. Sure. Go should we? Should, should I bring it up now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's number cool. one. Number All one right. usually means the first thing. Well, okay. Thanks. Well, what Remus um, or Lupin or however we want to call him, uh, he shows Harry and the trio that um, the Ministry has conducted a registration that is mandatory for all Muggle-born wizards to. Uh, sh- register themselves and have been written an account of being a muggle. What is so great about this parallel is um, that it's it's relevant to uh, the the same registering of the Jewish uh, people during uh, World War II during the Holocaust. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Well, I think it's really interesting because even though Joe has said that she didn't really base this on Hitler and Nazi Germany because she has been asked that before, there really are a lot of parallels to the subject. Like I was thinking about kind of like the anti-Semitic um, behavior that was really socially acceptable at that time. Jews would have their um, their businesses and their homes vandalized. They would be terrorized during all hours of the night. I mean, not to mention burning of their you know synagogues that happened before um, the actual concentration camps opened up. So it's really interesting when you look at the way that Muggleborns are treated in the Potter series even before this registration starts up. Yeah. Well, the the this just proves that um, the Wizarding World also has genocide, just like the Muggle World. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, this was really one of those those wow moments to me, just to really give you an idea of how how badly Voldemort and the Death Eaters were taking over the wizarding world because this is a huge punch especially oh this is a this is a very dark low moment for the for the just the whole government absolutely yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay no i was just agreeing with laura and, and matt because that's really what came to mind at least when i was rereading it um you know maybe didn't catch on to me the first time that i read uh deathly hollows but i mean there's a lot of sort of world war ii nazism undertones in this book, 
And I think it started, you know, we talked back uh, at the chapter with the wedding in it, with the, the mark of Grindelwald is sort of a, you know, with it being displayed the way it is on the walls at, at, at Durmstrang. And, you know, it, it kind of resembles a swat sticker. And, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. There, the, it, throughout the series more and more, and, and even uh, Gregorovich, you know, where he's locked and, and I forget the name of, of the of the it's it sort of resembles the name of a of a concentration camp and you know I just thought that Joe kind of did that intentionally to show the, the strong prejudices that that exist in the wizarding world and you know the, this is again another example another chapter and you know as we as we move on we we kind of see it more and more and you know I didn't pay attention to it really uh, are, my, are you referring to the through. the concentration camp um, Auschwitz, or is that, is that how it's pronounced? I think that was it. Well, yeah. there were multiple concentration camps, yeah. but yeah. there was this one sounded. I and I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm thinking of Buchenwald, which yeah. was one, but yeah, the name true. in the book sounded very similar to that. And I think I said Gregorovich. I meant uh, Grindelwald. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Who was locked there? I think I said Gregorovich was locked there, but that was a lie. Well, I I think even if um. I think if Joe knew she was drawing these parallels, I don't think she would admit it. Like, I don't think she does it on, like, obviously there's some inspiration from there, but I don't think she really does it on purpose. I just think that she's well-educated on, on Nazi Germany and, well, also, Use it it's to not create this Harry Potter world. It, it's know. not just Nazi Germany, though. I mean, yeah, it, countries all over the world, happened. including our own, have done terrible things to minority groups. I mean, uh, during the mass immigration here through Ellis Island, we actually sterilized people mm-hmm. who we thought were unfit to breed. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, right. it just goes to show that it's not just places like you know germany that did these things i mean it's as near and dear you know to our own home so it's kind of scary when you think about it but i think there are a lot of definite very strong parallels and i think when people think of these kind of injustices they automatically think of the holocaust Mm -hmm. i think it's it stands out you know so we're automatically going to think of it in comparison to this well, it's also because it just has um, a lot of direct uh, parallels mm-hmm. to what what happened back then. But it's it's just pretty much w- w- what happens when a, to- a totalitarian um, gets absolute power over an entire government. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it just uh, I think part of it though was to what what Joe had answered when a lot of people had brought up the year of 1945 the year that Grindelwald was defeated right and the parallels that that were starting to be made and Joe basically said that you could make those comparisons and I think in Deathly Hollows we get a better understanding of why that was and yeah. um, you know Grindelwald himself was imprisoned I think uh, the name here is Nurmengard which was an actual prison that he built to house his opponents so again, there's that imagery of a of a concentration camp almost, and uh, Nuremberg sounds awfully similar to Nuremberg. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Oh yeah, okay. Um, which obviously played a, a very big role 
at least for for the trials of uh, a lot of the Nazis post World War Two. Yeah, and you know what else I'm thinking of, kind of in comparison to this, after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, um, tons of American Japanese were rounded up and put into camps in America, like in uh, mm-hmm. in the Midwest. And while it wasn't anything on the scale of the Holocaust, it was still that idea of rounding up one group of people and finding a way to get rid of them or put them somewhere where they couldn't hurt your society because you believe that just because a few of them might have done something wrong that they all would. So, yeah, and it just sort of sprung to mind, too. Uh, the other big point in Chapter 11 we wanted to talk about uh, was Lupin coming to Harry and asking to be a part of his adventure. Um, so, although the trio doesn't want to tell Lupin anything about the mission given to them by Dumbledore, Lupin still gives them reasons why he should come along. And it seems at first like Harry, uh, Ron and Hermione are sort of into it um, until Lupin reveals that uh, Tonks is pregnant. Then Harry has a very sudden change of heart, and you know this big this big argument occurs. So, do you guys think Lupin is truly a coward concerning his family and Tonks's family because that's what Harry calls him, or does he really believe in helping the trio? Because you know it, Harry Harry was Harry overreacted mainly because he can relate to it, the, his situation. He wouldn't have wanted. You know, his his parents always stuck with him, so he doesn't believe that Lupin should just be leaving his kid and his wife, even though the, the kid's not born yet. Um, I, I wouldn't really call Lupin a coward, per se. I think it was more of a situation of cold feet for him, because we saw at the end of Half-Blood Prince, he already had reservations about marrying Tonks, because of his age and because of him being a werewolf. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that it would be very wrong to get someone pregnant and then say, oh, look at what I've done to you, because it's clearly better for me to leave you by yourself and raise a kid on your own. I think that's a load of crap. Um, But at the same time, I think that he sincerely wanted to help, too. Yeah, see, that's the other thing. I mean, because he he said himself, you know, oh, I believe that your dad would have wanted me to, to come along. And Harry says, "Well, I don't think he would have, he would have ditched his kid, or you know." So, but this doesn't sound like Lupin, though. This is like a different side of him that we haven't right. seen before. Yeah, I, I think, think he was having it. a breakdown. Really, I mean, he, yeah. he was yeah. looking forward think, to getting out of this Tonks situation. I mean, situation. how long had he? How long he probably hasn't even known much um, about the news that his wife is pregnant. This might be just a reaction to what he was just told. Yeah, oh, that's maybe. What I was oh, yeah. Because I mean, a lot of a lot of parents when they find out, their whole life flashes before their eyes, and they see all the all the accomplishments they haven't made, and all the things that they thought the kind of person they was. Like Lupin probably thought that he would never be this kind of person who would have a wife and having a kid. He would always see himself as a person helping out, giving his life for his friends or something. Yeah. yeah. So this is probably like his. This is like a gut instinct of him to come to the aid of his friends or something. Yeah. Well, Although, also- I, you do have to keep in mind just real quick that he did say that it took him three days longer because he had to knock off the the Death Eater on his tail. So even if, you know, like, say he heard about 
Tonks being pregnant, and then, you know, he just immediately ran away. I would have thought he'd cool down after three days and maybe really think it through. Because he's not well, he's stupid. Also, well, his I mean, adrenaline's probably running racing, too, because he's getting... He has to constantly think about dodging all these Death Eaters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess think- it's also the terrifying idea of bringing a child into the world in the middle of a war. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know. He definitely was... was moving away from his responsibilities, I think, as a parent. But at the same time, I don't know that he delivered the message to Harry, I think, the way that he wanted to or the way that we would normally expect Lupin to. I think it came across to Harry the wrong way, and that's why Harry reacted the way that he did. I'm not saying that Harry wasn't a expletive in this this particular scene because I think he cracked down on Lupin a little bit too hard. Um, but I also would understand where Harry is coming from, uh, being orphaned himself. He wouldn't want to, you know, see the same thing happen to Lupin's child. That, that That's exactly what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like I said, Eric can really relate to this. This isn't, you know, he, he knows exactly what's going on here. And that's why he picked up on it so quick, you know. And also, he would feel at fault for it because so many people have already died for him, and right. the thought of making another kid fatherless. Right, but in, on ironically, his account, in the end, he ends up feeling bad about it anyway because that's exactly yeah. what does happen, and right. you know he ends up losing both of his parents. Another thing I wanted to bring up: if if Tonks gave her permission directly to Harry, say Tonks was like, "It's okay." I want Lupin to come and help out you guys because, you know, maybe maybe Tonks thinks they need a little help. Do you think Harry would have let, let him come along still? Or do you think this was really a personal issue with Harry that wouldn't have been able to no. be changed? No. No. Harry's, Harry's set in stone that Dumbledore just wanted Harry and Ron and Hermione to go with him. And he trusts Dumbledore's word more than anyone. But that, but that that's not the, the point, though, because... He he was considering taking Lupin. And I mean, one of his primary reasons for Lupin not coming is because he had his kid. Well, did he, he did, did did he say he was thinking about it, or he just said it was a tempting um, offer? Well, at first he was thinking about it because at at first he's like they they're a little taken aback, I, I think. And then then Lupin's like. You know, oh, what's what? Or Harry or one of them is like, oh, what's this all about? And uh, Lupin says Tonks is having a kid. So I think it's not because Dum- Harry's main argument to Lupin wasn't that you know it's just Dumbledore's it's Dumbledore's mission for the trio. That was part of the argument, but the the real reason that they got you know they were throwing spells at each other was just because you know Lupin was doing something that Harry would never want to see a father do. Well, I don't think that they probably would have broke out in a fight like they did. I know, but I'm saying if it if the situation wasn't the fact that he was running away because his wife was pregnant, um, I don't think that would have been a fight. There, I don't think they would have had an argument like that, but I still don't think that Harry would let Lupin in on it. Yeah, I agree. So relating to this, Georgia16 from Walnut Creek, California writes, I've been looking forward to the chapter by chapter for chapter 11 almost as much as I've been dreading it, probably because my Lupin fangirling knows no bounds. Since July, I've reread and overanalyzed this chapter more times than I'd like to admit, and I've come to several conclusions. The preeminent one being that Harry has a nasty habit of jumping to conclusions and ought to learn to think before speaking. People leave their families to fight in wars all the time, and I can't see how Remus, Remus is any different. He was frightened, yes, but I don't see how 
how he was in any way cowardly. He's had to struggle with the prejudices against werewolves all his adult life, being shunned, subjected to poverty, and I don't even want to imagine what sort of things he saw when he was spying on Greyback. The thought that he could have forced their sort of life onto an innocent child was just too much for him to handle. Nobody wants that for their child, especially not when the future looks so bleak already. And with all that aside, it's obvious that he really cares about Harry, and I cannot believe that he was at all comfortable with the idea of him, Ron and Hermione, running off into untold dangers all by themselves. That was my point. Um, They might have been adults, but they were still missing an entire year of their education and just had no experience with taking care of themselves on their own. The notion that they were planning to do just that probably unsettled him almost as much as it did Mrs. Weasley. What Harry said to him was just awful, and I can't help feeling that if Remus had not been trying so hard to hide his feelings and had worded his request differently, things might have ended up much better. If nothing else, he could have at least helped prevent situations in which they're all living off of toadstools. So I I agree with that. I agree with all the points she made. I mean, <sighs> Remus wants to protect him. He wants to protect uh, by him. I mean, Harry, he wants to protect Harry for, for James. I mean, you know, why let three kids run off and do this huge battle that Dumbledore left him to? I mean, okay, Dumbledore left him to it, but <sighs> I mean, well, obviously the truth's looping wrong, but I don't know. I guess it's kind of like you, you consider an extreme circumstance in which your child and another child are both in danger. You know, who are you going to say first? Your kid. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you try to help everyone you can, but your kid should always be your priority. Right. And I think maybe him going to do this was his way of coping with the situation. And I think that's kind of what, we were trying to bring up throughout this whole thing is that this is kind of his coping mechanism, I think, for finding out. I think that's what Matt had mentioned earlier. And, I mean, I guess you could argue either way. I mean, him leaving the situation doesn't resolve the problem. I mean, the fact that his kid could grow up to be a werewolf, which I'm sure is something that he's concerned about, you know, it's not going to magically disappear if he goes off and, and gets himself killed. And I think that's probably what Harry's argument was mostly about, but I don't think that Harry necessarily, as much as Lupin didn't probably make his argument strong enough, I don't think that Harry reacted the way he probably should have either. And, yeah, I just think it was just poorly delivered. And the worst parts. thing I thought about was that if Lupin now goes off and got killed, that would have been the worst possible terms for Harry and Lupin to have ended on. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, don't they mention that, too? I mean, doesn't... Later on. Doesn't Harry mention that a couple times later in the book? Yeah. Yeah. He just can't... He just doesn't want to think of how he left things with Remus. But, but yeah. And, and through all of this, I mean, one thing that kind of got overshadowed that we didn't talk about from Lupin's visit was, you know, um, the fact that he mentions that Scrimgeour didn't give Harry away, um, which... Is big. That, is that's, big. Yeah. Yeah. If that's the real story, I mean, we'll never know, though. I mean, there could have been more to it, but from the reader's pers- perspective, it yeah, it looks like he he's died for Harry. Um. All right, so let's move on now. Uh, part in this chapter, I really hope makes the movie, and you know, Joe <laughs> insisted that creatures stay in. Some just comedy, he, finally, you know. Yes, exactly. I know. Very. 
Dark book. Um, uh, Creature returns with Mondungus like he promised. At this point, Creature is loving Harry. You know, he's making dinners and everything for for the trio. He's he's so far up there that um, you know <laughs> everything's going well. So Harry starts interrogating Mondungus, but not too soon, not too not too long after that, Creature just comes up and starts hitting Mondungus on the head with a frying pan. And it's so funny, and I just really hope that makes the film. What do you yeah. guys think of that part? I thought it was really funny, especially um, when he said, like, what was it? I forget. He was like, he called him Master Harry, and he was like, one more, please, Master Harry. Or yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, he says, perhaps just one more, Master Harry, for luck. Yeah. And then Harry says, no, I got to keep him conscious. So the best part comes on page 222 when Mundungus uh, starts explaining who he, who, who, who uh, has the locket now. And uh, the realization is hilarious. Let me just read it real quick. Um, who was this woman? Asked Harry. I don't know. Some ministry hag. Mundungus considered for a moment, brow wrinkled. Little woman, bow on top of her head. He frowned and then added, looks like a toad. <laughs> Harry dropped his wand and hit Mundungus on the nose. Of course, that's when they realize it's Umbridge. Um, so I have I thought to say, though, the too. ending of all the chapters in Book 7 are probably the best out of the series. Yeah. They're so clever. They're so movie-like. Yeah. They, like they make you want to turn the page. Like, you know, I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Harry Potter books, I read so many more chapters than I intend. Oh, because right. Because yeah, after absolutely. each chapter, yeah, I just want to go, okay, just one more chapter because exactly. I don't know what happens now. <laughs> yeah, I used to I used to do the same thing when I when I was reading them all for the first time. It's you just, And that's, that's one of the biggest uh, uh, compliments that the Harry Potter books receive. You just can't put them down. That's what everyone says the first time they read them. I just couldn't stop. So... Okay, so uh, chapter 12, uh, there wasn't as much going on in this chapter, not really any big development, so we're going to move through it pretty quick. Well, hey guys, I got to get going, but I'll see you all next week. All right, Laura, no worries. See ya. Bye, everyone. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to note about this chapter was it's the first time, at least, that I remember Ron ever saying the word Voldemort. Is it the only time? The first time. Is it the first time? I thought so. Is it truly the first time? Uh, maybe I'm making this up. Somebody check me on it. It was on page 208 in the U.S. edition. It's the first time I've ever seen Ron say the word, say the name Voldemort. I could see why this would be his first time, because this is really the start of, of, of the journey. So maybe he's running on a nice little high. Feeling brave. Say, yeah. hey, if Hermione can say it, I guess I can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. But okay, let's move on to chapter 12 now. Um... Who wrote the first point? Someone else start. I didn't uh, write any of the points, so... Was that you, I, Matt? I actually wrote the first point. Okay, go ahead. But I don't want to say it. Why not? Well, I just give know, a brief summary. All right. That's I'll probably the best thing. So, the beginning of Chapter 12, um, they're, getting, they're getting into the ministry at this point. They've all taken the Polyjuice Potion, and they transformed into new ministry um, people. And now they're going into the ministry, and the first thing we wanted to bring up was the new statue that replaced the uh, Fountain of Magical Brethren. Mm-hmm. I'm good. That's true. I'm proud of myself for that. Um, it is now this new statue that reads, Magic is Might. Um, I don't have the exact description up. I don't know if you do, Matt, but it's described as a large black um, uh, statue 
that has a man and a woman, a wizard and a witch, sitting on a bunch of bodies, all mm-hmm. wrangled up, and just are they dead? Can you tell they're dead? Um, no, they're they're holding them up. They're, is what right. it is. They're sitting on top of them. Right, but no, in, but the, it's the whole fact that um that you know, like three hundred when all the slaves were holding up the big Persian master. That's pretty much what, yeah. what, what, I have what, quote what the statue is entailing. Go ahead, read it. Says, um, now a gigantic statue of black stone dominated the scene. It was rather frightening the vast sculpture of a witch and a wizard sitting on ornately carved thrones, looking down at the ministry workers toppling out of fireplaces below below them. Engraved in foot high letters at the base of the statue were the words magic is might. Um, and I'm looking for the other um well, then, yeah, then, then they make the realization that uh, they're not sitting on chairs. It's actually bodies. And what's the quote for that? Hermione, who says have you, to Harry, have you seen what they're sitting on? Harry looked more closely and realized that what he had thought was uh, decorative, uh, decoratively carved thrones were actually mounds of carved humans, hundreds and hundreds of naked bodies, men, women, and children, all with rather stupid, ugly faces, twisted and pressed together, to support the weight of the handsomely robed wizards. Yeah, so it's it's a very nasty <laughs> sight. I mean, that's it's terrible. very graphic. Yeah, and I it's mean, supposedly muggles, right? I'm guessing. Yeah, yes. Well, that's what they that's what they they realize um, as well. So you know, it's just another sign of how the ministry has changed. I mean, that that is you know just a gigantic symbol of of how the ministry of magic functions now. It's <laughs> It's just absolutely terrible. I mean, I don't see even how ministry uh, employees could approve of that. They probably don't have a choice. Well, yeah, right, but yeah, it's which kind of goes back crazy. to the whole Nazi Germany comparison right, that exactly. was yeah. brought up last chapter. Oh, here I am coming to work. Uh, what's the first thing I see? A giant black statue that has a witch and a wizard sitting on a ton, a ton of dead. Uh, muggles and mudbloods. That's sad. Yeah. One of the other big things in the chapter that we learn, which actually takes place before they go to the ministry, um, is from the Daily Prophet that Harry brings home, saying that Snape is now the headmaster of Hogwarts. And, you know, we mentioned earlier in the chapter-by-chapter, uh, chapter, you know, a couple of episodes back, when we heard that the ministry had fallen was kind of a holy bleep moment of the series. Mm-hmm. Did anybody kind of get the same feeling when they found out that Snape was running yeah. Hogwarts? I mean, we don't know yet, obviously, that he's good, mm-hmm. but this was another moment in the series where you really start to think, and this is, of course, in addition to everything that we're learning that's going on at the ministry with all the roundups that are taking place. But this is really one of those moments where you realize things are getting pretty bad. Right. Yeah. Because cause all of a sudden, it's like you can't believe – it's it's like Hogwarts all of a sudden turns into like a prison cell. Like that's how I pictured it. Like it right. turned into a huge dun- dungeon. Mm-hmm. It's like Snape's yeah. giant dungeon. It's, it's these big pieces that are slowly falling. You know, first it was the ministry. Now the only place I think that Harry has ever known to be safe in Hogwarts is is clearly not. Right. Mm-hmm. I had really mixed feelings when I read about Snape. This whole chapter, I mean, this whole book, even, but no, no, 
hearing that Snape had become headmaster, uh, I yeah. see. You, you know, you you think there's because there's so much speculation if Snape was good or bad that you right. think, okay, well, if he was if he's good, then this is actually a good thing for um, all the students in Hogwarts that they actually have um, Snape who is really going against Voldemort who's trying to help all the students or something but yeah i guess that's true yeah but th- then then you think he, if he's bad you know it's just they're they're screwed but even if he is bad i don't know i mean in hindsight we all now know i mean snape was doing it to, snape snape's intentions were to protect the school i mean yeah. it, maybe it was never stated but obviously he didn't want to see hogwarts go and who mm-hmm. knows for all we know maybe uh, snape offered Maybe Snape said yeah. to Voldemort, "Let me, let me take over. Don't put some." Well, I'm sure he did. Yeah, because because he's a familiar face for the school, right? So next point: uh, Why are the Weasleys, the Longbottoms, and the Lovegoods their families sending Ginny, Neville, and Luna back to school, knowing everything that they know? Because I mean, they're <sighs> well, they parents- know they know that they have to go. It's mandatory now. They can't keep them at home. Oh, that's true. The next point: I don't know who put that in. Probably Laura. That's probably she, didn't re- she didn't read chapter 12. Yeah, and, and she left, so we can blame everything on her. Yeah. Um, next point. Is the plan to penetrate the ministry flawed? Mikey, you wanted to bring this up because... Mikey? Micah, I said. Oh, they said Mikey. You know, they're just walking in with Polyjuice Potion, and before the show, I was saying, you know what? <sighs> There's got to be some flaws in this plan. If they're going, if they're knocking these, these people out that they're turning into, they're, they're knocking them out and... They're going to come back to work the next day and be like, you know, oh, wait a second. I didn't do this. Oh, wait a second. I didn't do that. I mean, there's flaws in this plan that obviously didn't get brought up in the book because well, it would have been nice to see what would happen. That's and the how whole they would... point, though. This whole thing was rushed. Yeah, they, but you they don't, don't see any. They, they don't really care about the consequences anymore because all they're thinking about is going forward. Right. But what I'm saying is, in reality, that would have really posed a problem. And I mean, Joe could have wrote in some subplot. But it's not that necessary. It's sort of out of the way, and it, obviously, it doesn't affect the ending of the book. But in all reality, that must have caused some problems because that would have it, been a huge security did. breach too. But we don't know that. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't you yeah. think it would have well, been because we only know it breach? from their perspective? It probably was going on. It's just it didn't reach them in the time that all this thing, all this stuff happened. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. They were out of touch when they were camping. Well, uh, so. yeah. and, I think and the Matt brought up huge. a good point, though that that. It, the plan itself was definitely rushed because you have that whole conversation between Harry, Ron, and Hermione where Harry was saying, let's just do it tomorrow. Exactly. And yeah. I, you can understand that from the perspective of, well, we need to start acting. We can't just keep talking about it. We need to just do it. But the the thing that really bothered me about this part of the story was, to me, if you're these three young witches or wizards and you, you're – going to go and infiltrate the ministry, it, it's, it would seem to me that you need to be a little bit more clever than just using Polyjuice Potion. And obviously that right. it has consequences in the in the following chapters when they come face-to-face mm-hmm. with one of the people uh, that they that they took out. Um, but it, it just it seems so unrealistic that they can just walk by Umbridge or walk by Yaxley or walk by any of these people. And there is absolutely no recognition on the part of these ministry officials that something is up until, you know, a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And look, I know it's it's a fantasy series. I know that right. all of this is unrealistic, but Joe usually does a really good job of of making things seem like, hey, you know, that could actually work. And this was just mm-hmm. one of those chapters where it's it's everything almost like, was just coincidental. Yeah, it, it's it's just, just like you're talking everybody. about the ministry, which is supposedly under the the control of Voldemort, and they're just going to walk right in, disguised as other people get the Horcrux, you know, have a little bit of trouble along the way and, and get out. I so, just, Micah, say you were Harry. What would what would be your plan to infiltrate the ministry? Say you were the James Bond of the Harry Potter world. How would you get but, in the ministry? But my point is this. Why would you have to get into the ministry? Doesn't, like it. doesn't Umbridge live somewhere? Yeah, I was just going to say, can't you just, like, But doesn't she keep Lockett in the ministry? I don't. There's, is that a no, guarantee? she keeps it around her neck. Yeah. But, well, I guess in defense of <laughs> Joe, I guess, um, they know exactly where she works. They don't know where she lives. And it would, it would you know, how would they find out where she lives? I they mean, she, the one they have to go in the ministry? Hey, hey, ha- hold on a second. Creature. Don't say phone Bring book. me Umbridge. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then somebody see somebody would notice Umbridge was missing, and then Umbridge would, would run care? back and. Well, no, well, I thought Hermione was um, getting used to the memory charms. Oh, that's true too. But once Umbridge, okay, this could also be sub with the memory charm. But once Umbridge is in the in Grimwald Place, wouldn't she be able to tell people where it is? She wouldn't know where she was. Yeah, creature just brought her there. Yeah, we're, we're they, just they, trying the creature to creature didn't say, "Oh yeah, things. we're going to take it to Grimmel Place." Yeah, this is all pure, yeah, speculation. I guess. Yeah. But look, we thought about um, this plan in what five minutes. They right. could have done that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll talk to them someday. Um, why does Hermione, last point we want to bring up today, why does Hermione still insist that Harry stay out of Voldemort, Voldemort's mind? Because in this chapter, once again, Harry, uh, Harry tries to hide it from Ron and Hermione. He runs up to the bathroom and then hides in there while he goes into Voldemort's mind. But Hermione still insists that Harry stay out. Why does Hermione do that? Why can't she just, I mean, she's not going to be able to change Harry's mind. And really, it does work to their advantage. Yeah, well, in this book, it, in this chapter, or chapter, in this book, it did. Of course, of course, in Order of the Phoenix, it didn't. But Harry learned his lesson. And I mean, he just has to accept now that that's a possibility, that that, that could happen. But really, he's nothing to lose at this point. Like, he, you know, unless, unless Voldemort makes up this, this, uh, scene where he's about to kill Ron and Hermione, mm-hmm. or any, well, any close Well, Hermione doesn't know anything about it. That's the whole point. The only thing that she knows is that Dumbledore told Harry that he shouldn't be be opening his mind to it. Yeah, that's the only but thing she fact, knows, and she's scared about it because all the the consequences that happened. It's really a good thing in the end. I mean, and uh, Harry even starts to think that he should be using this to his advantage. I mean, it keeps him, you know, in sync with what Voldemort is doing, and it has a huge role. You know, later on, when he can feel Voldemort going from place to place, looking for all the Horcruxes that mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. been destroyed, and you know, I, I think it's a connection that she should just step off on because yeah. it's giving Harry the the clues that he needs to help solve this, you know, really complex puzzle. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and technically, is it really co- Oculumency? 
because they are connected. He yeah. is part of Voldemort. Right, and well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe he wouldn't been able to keep it out. I mean, even if he tried to close his mind, would it even work? Oh, well, that's true. But see, Dumbledore didn't know that he he had the special connection with Voldemort, and Dumbledore still recommended that Snape teach him the lessons. So mm-hmm. I think Dumbledore would have had an idea whether or not the, the lessons would actually work. Oculence. Well, okay, really okay work. talking about oculency, since we're on the subject, Okay, is it even possible to shut your mind while you're asleep? I mean, aren't you just vulnerable when you're asleep? Can you use Oculus? I mean, is your, are you capable of doing Oculumency right. while you're question. asleep? Well, I guess the question is, do we know how it actually works? I mean, is it a? It, does it only work while you're actually focusing on it? Or is there a way to, to keep it in your head somehow? Well, it always happens when he's at his most vulnerable point, and that's when he's asleep. So... And he has a, tr- a hard time doing it even when he's conscious. So how in the world is he going to be able to uh, be able to do it when he's in a fragile sleeping state? According to uh, the lexicon, elementary occlumency involves clearing the mind of thoughts and emotions so that the legilimens can find no emotional ties to memories that the target wishes to conceal. So say if you clear your mind before bed, and you fall asleep because isn't isn't aren't there studies that say like you always dream about what you're thinking like right before you fall asleep? You're right. So if you have yeah. your mind, cl- well, is that even possible? I mean, unless you have a pensive near your bed and just <laughs> empty all your mind. <laughs> hey, uh, you know that's that's too much work. That's like taking out your contacts at night or putting in your retainer before bed. Yeah, I mean, where would you even get one of those? Yeah, see, I, I just I'd stop doing all of those. You like go to Home Depot, be like, "Yeah, I'll have a pensive." <laughs> I want an auto pensive. <laughs> yeah. Or you go, you go to Costco and get the ten pack. Yeah, well, exactly. it's not like one use only. It's not like a disposable <laughs> yeah. razor. I mean, you can use the same one night to night, yeah. right? And if you know you need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I mean, it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> this pensive is not the same color it was yesterday. <laughs> Why is my pensive all yellow? <laughs> Uh, it could be multi-purpose. I mean, if you're sick, you know, <laughs> Mr. Bob, uh, pensive edition. Yeah, Mr. Bob is on the job. You can wash your face when you get up in the morning. You don't even need to go to the. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you wash your god. face in the morning, and you're hit with all these past aggression <laughs> memories this is from terrible. your past. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Brush your teeth. Use it at to go number two. Possibilities. Uh, I don't endless. know. That's, okay, okay. Drew. That's a little too much. You guys don't. I use a sink for everything. Just me. <laughs> oh, yeah, funny. I know you do. Hmm. Weird. All right. Well, <laughs> there's a Ben's top ten list. Top ten weight uses of a pensive. Yeah. There you go. Someone. Everyone submit. Get creative. Uh, not everyone. But yeah. Be creative. Send a creative list. Top ten ways to use a pensive. We've given you some ideas. Don't copy all of them, but build off of what we came up with. <laughs> There's a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In its more advanced form, oculumency allows the user to suppress only feelings and memories that contradict what the user wishes a legitimate to believe, thus allowing the oculence to lie without self-betrayal. So, I don't know. I mean, this could be... This is used to Harry's advantage and I Harry's learned his lesson once. He I think at this point he 
he would just since he was still looking into what Voldemort, he was still looking into Voldemort's mind. I believe that he just has to take the risk and decide whether or not it's real. Yeah, yeah. Let's move. So along. I think that does. Yeah, that that does wrap up uh, chapter by chapter today. Uh, chapter thirteen next week, maybe chapter fourteen as well. We'll uh, review it at our next board meeting. It's time for quote quiz. Quiz quiz. <laughs> she had to go down to the courtrooms with Umbridge. She couldn't refuse and cuts off. Oh. This has been <gasps> quote quiz 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 quiz. I'm doing a new thing now where I move my head further away from the microphone, so it's more like quote quiz 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 quiz. quiz. That's nice. That's, That's nice. Oh, sweet. Very talented. Really nice. Hey, I have a new idea. I have a new idea. We'll all do the echo. So I'll do quote quiz, and then Matt goes quiz, and then Mikey goes quiz, and then I go quiz, and then we all do it lower and lower. Yeah. Uh, no, let's not do that. No, no, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Can we try it, please? So I'll do it first. I'll do quote quiz, and then Matt, you go quiz, and then Mikey goes quiz, and then I go quiz. Okay? okay. Sure. Why not? All right. You have to do it fast. Quote quiz. 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 Stupid. <laughs> Alrighty. I liked it. That was nice. I'm so embarrassed right now for doing that. Sorry, I want to have a little fun on the. Okay, you you sang Sweeney Todd last week. You can't. You you can't dig yourself any deeper. I'm freaking awesome that way. Hey, here's 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 the fun segment. It's time to play Make the Connection. Uh, Since Jamie's not around this week and we don't know when he's going to be back because he's back at school, Matt's going to be taking over. uh, Make the Connection until Jamie returns. Uh, Matt, I, I, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, Jamie sent you a couple ideas, but yeah, he sent me a couple things. Well, it's pretty cool now, though, because since Laura left, um, since Jamie only sent me two, I could just tell them to both of you. Uh, well, okay, yeah, okay. All right, so Micah, start first, since Micah didn't go last yeah. time. All right, Micah, make the connection between Harry Potter and writing a science fiction novel to be read only by camels. Only by camels, right? Only by camels. I I, I don't even know what to say to that. Oh, 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 come on, Micah. It's, it's, it's very simple. <laughs> it's right in front it's of right me, right? It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. Oh, I have boy. faith in you, Micah. I have faith in you. <laughs> um, the only comparison I can think of was the... Those two camels that those house elves were riding in uh, (laughs) Goblet of Fire. fire. (laughs) Otherwise, I don't know how you compare Harry Potter and a science fiction book written strictly for camels. (laughs) Well, you can say that the science fiction book told the house elves, told the camels how to ride with house elves on their back. Because house elves are very light, so that poses a possible problem, especially if they were to apparate off the back once that weight suddenly disappears, the camels might be thrown off balance. That sure. Was easy. <laughs> All right, let's hear the other one. Okay, Maybe I'll help Andrew. Andrew out on that. Since um, I already sent you one, I'm going to think of something else. Okay. All right. So let's. Okay. Harry Potter and eating Chick Fil A while watching Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Okay, seriously, that that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
Um, Do it. Okay. I have to admit, Sweeney Todd is one of my favorite movies right now, and um, Chick-fil-A is my favorite delicacy. So, You're stalling. when I go to the movies... No, no. When I go to the movies, when I see a Harry Potter film, um, I love seeing the Potter films while uh, eating nachos and cheese, which is also one of my favorite delicacies. So, the connection is that you can eat your favorite delicacy while watching one of your favorite movies. No? Uh, maybe I'm just not getting make the connection. You just have to make a connection between Harry Potter and item number two. All right. Okay. I know, I know that wasn't exactly what it was supposed to. Uh, th- that's impossible, Matt. That's <laughs> that's pretty impossible. Well, the, the one that Jamie gave me wasn't any better. What was it? It was Harry Potter and eating antique ice cream while fighting Hercules. <laughs> what? Well, Hercules is a very powerful character. Uh, character, no. huh? Character. Yeah, sorry. If you watch home videos, so you, I just did it again. <laughs> 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 anyway. Well, actually, you could... I don't know how you would spin this, but Hercules defeated... Uh, what's his name? The three-headed dog. The trio got by the three-headed dog. Oh, but Did that he? has nothing to do with ice cream <laughs> battling. Yeah, see, Hercules. well, you could say that dogs like ice cream. I don't know. Yeah. Jamie would have to dogs be here to moderate that. I don't know. We'll see. Matt, do you do you want people to email in ideas? That's what we used to do with Jamie. Yeah, if well, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, if Jamie's not going to be on because he's at school for for the next couple weeks, I'm perfectly okay with that. Okay. So uh, email in some good make the connections that are possible. Maybe if you have your own idea, include it in the email. Include the connection in the email, and then Matt just won't read that. He can read that after we answer ours. So yeah, answer your own make the connection so we know it's doable. You know, and you can quiz yourself at home. Matt at staff. Oh no, Matthew B. Sorry, Matthew M A T T H E W B at staff dot Matt, maybe I'll make you an easier one that's a little shorter so we'll wrap things up today as always with a nice little chicken soup to ever make everyone feel good this is a good segment we do uh this one comes from stacy b 22 of baltimore uh maryland she writes this isn't a normal chicken soup you get letters every week about how someone's grandmother just passed away or how stressed out they are from finals or just simply because work is torture these people who are down and out out, reach out to you as muggle casters to help them on their way. No matter what our burden is, we can always count on you to brighten our day. Laughter is the best medicine of all. You have no idea how many lives you guys have touched. And I think I speak for the listeners when I say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. The chicken soup, this chicken soup goes out to the muggle casters for everything they do for the fans. Well, thank you, Stacy. That's very nice of you. You know, it's always, like I say almost every show, it's always great to hear how MuggleCast really affects people's lives. And it's, and you know, it's one of the main reasons why we'll never, we'll never permanently end the show. I mean, that's just mean, um, you know, but we'll, we'll always be coming out with new episodes. We'll aim for once a month after a chapter by chapter is done. And, you know, good, more good things will come. More good things will come. Yes. So I think that's about it for this week's episode of MuggleCast, but right now it's time to remind everyone about our contact information in case you want to get in touch with us. The Po uh, Box. If you want to send us... Huh? The Po Box. The Po Box. Micah, if uh, someone wants to email or s- send something to the, the Pickle Object Box, where do they do that? How do they send uh, it? 
send it to MuggleCast, P.O. Box 3151, Cumming, Georgia, 30028. Don't forget, you can also call in the MuggleCast hotline. If you're in the United States, you can dial 1-218-20-MAGIC. If you're in the United Kingdom, you can dial 020-8144-0677. And if you're in Australia, you can dial 02-8003-5668. Uh, you can also Skype the username MuggleCast. No matter how you call in, just remember to keep your message under 60 seconds and eliminate as much background noise as possible. Thank you. Um, you can also email MuggleCast using the handy feedback form on MuggleCast.com. Just click on contact at the top. You can reach any one of us. Or, actually, Matt, you're not in there, but I think it's about time we add you in there. Add me where? Um, where? Uh, to the feedback form on MuggleCast.com. Oh, okay. Um, you can also visit, uh, you can also contact us with our first name at staff.mungonet.com. And like I said earlier, Matthew B at staff.mungonet.com. Yeah.com. Don't forget our community outlets. We got the MuggleCast MySpace, the Facebook, YouTube, Frapper, Last.fm, and the fan listing and the forums, which are exploding right now. You can also dig the show at dig.com. Vote for us once a month at Podcast Alley and Rain Rios at Yahoo Podcast. Um, I think that's about it for this week's show. Send Thank in you. stuff for Chapter 13. Yes, send in stuff for Chapter 13 that please. we can discuss. And if we missed anything in Chapter 11 or 12, I'm sure we'll hear about it. So We'll hear about it. We'll get a gazillion, kajillion, patrillion, billion emails. At yeah. least two. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> remember, kids, parallels. When are voicemails coming back? Or they never come back. Now, voicemails, <laughs> um, voicemails will come back. We just have to have time in the show to fit them in. Maybe we'll just do strictly chapter by chapter and voicemails next week with a fun segment, too. Hopefully fun. If, if there's no news next week. You know, we yeah. just need a, we need a break because we're trying to keep these shows a certain length each week. I mean, yep. sometimes we go longer, sometimes shorter, but we aim for around hour 10 to an hour 20 an episode. Right Don't now. forget the top 10. Top 10. Vote for us at Podcast Alley, too. Yes. Thank you, Micah. No, Micah's- I meant the top 10. Pensive. Oh, top uses. 10 list. Yes. Yes. Please Sorry. send in those lists. Yeah. You no, can also fine. vote for us at Podcast Alley if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Like I All said, right. you won't get another show in January if you don't. Yeah. Uh-uh. Right. Exactly. So look out. Um, All right. Okay. So uh, that wraps up this week's episode of MuggleCast. Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And I'm Matthew Britton. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next week for episode 130 in February. Bye-bye. Goodbye. How, it, it, was that? Yeah, that's good enough. Was that good enough? Okay. Yeah. Just say that, like you, that there were parallels drawn between that, oh, and, like Nazi course. Germany. Of course. The- oh yes, because I love parallels because they never meet. <laughs> that um, was so funny, by the way. I didn't hear that when really we were recording, funny. but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't even remember saying that. I, <laughs> I, I, I must have been doing something else because I was just trying to talk while Eric was talking, uh-huh. along with my. Uh, <laughs> pregnant comment do you remember that yes <laughs> yeah 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 that was funny too i missed that i didn't what what is it a no. mic, like sometimes micah says things and someone else is talking so we don't hear him 
Uh, s- say it, Micah, real quick. Well, I think Andrew was talking about how um, was it Helena Bonham Carter? Or no, it was uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, um, no. It was the other one who's playing Helen McCrory. Yeah, Helen McCrory. Yeah, she was um, supposed to play Bellatrix, but she got pregnant. And then I just said, the really, I guess under somebody else, I just said, "Sorry about that." And nobody, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and nobody noticed. And, and then it was on the show, and I saw people making comments about it. It was pretty yeah. funny. When I heard it, when I heard it while editing, I was like laughing my ass off, and I didn't like it. I was like, "Dude, I can't believe we missed that." I was so funny <laughs> he was like so straightforward too he's just like sorry about that sorry about that <laughs> oh that's brilliant yeah okay, okay anyway. i'm gonna bring us back yeah, right. yeah okay well um I'll, 